Assalamu alaikum. You're listening to Tech Sisters Stories. Tech Sisters is a community that connects you with other sisters who share your story, experiences, and goals so you no longer have to feel like the only one like you on your team. My name is Grace, and I get to interview the amazing women in our community, share their stories, and the lessons they learned. Today on Tech Sisters Stories, we are so very, very excited to have Reham Farwad. Reham is a senior product leader at Point Click Care with over 15 years of global product management experience across various industries. Reham has strong interest in using data and empathy to solve customer problems and has a successful track record in building digital products that have earned industry recognition. Reham is excited by revolutionizing product portfolios and operations and is always on the lookout to pioneer impactful changes in the digital world. Also, mashallah, Reham is the founder of Muslim of Vibes and Product, or MVP, and we are very, very excited to talk to another group that is in this Muslim women in tech space. So very, very happy to have you on, Reham. Thank you, Grace. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. So excited to be on and just have a chit-chat with Grace and you all. Yeah, humble. So how did you first get into tech? How did you first get into product? How did I first get into product? You know, that's a really interesting question. And everyone asks me that because I feel if when you're a product manager, you know, and you know, if you know that every other person wants to get into product in your company. So I was very lucky. My my undergrad is actually in computer science. So I have some computer engineering by academia. And then when I started working, I just kind of got into the business analysis sides of things. I started working at a bank. I was in Dubai at that point. I worked at the bank for a couple of years. Because I had that sort of an undergrad, I was kind of put on the more technical sort of projects. They were in the process of commercializing, actually, their in-house banking software. So I got tasked with that. That was kind of my step into business analysis, which, which to me is basically more mage product ownership. So I moved here and I was applying to jobs and I wasn't getting any because I didn't have Canadian work experience, although I had Canadian education. So I, there was a point where I was just like applying to any jobs. I, was, I had applied to a tech support job, to tell you the truth, at a company called Hostware. They were pretty big with domain hosting and, and web building and all of that. And I had gone in for the interview. And at the end of the interview, they were like, well, we feel like you'd be boxed in the technical support job. And I'm like, no, you know, I'm interested. I want to work, all of that. Yeah. So. I'd gone home and then they had called me back and said someone else in their company wanted to interview me. And it was the director of product. And he put this job description in front of me. And I had no idea what product management was at that point. He put this job description in front of me. And it was this amazing blend of technical plus businessy things. And I was, I was in my head, I was super excited, right? I was like being a calm cat during my interview. And he was like, does this interest you? And I was like, Yes, this seems pretty interesting. And in my head, I'm like jumping off the jumping off the roof here. And that was my step into product management. I ended up getting hired there. And that was my first official product role as a product manager. And it was just no looking back since then. And I've been so lucky, Alhamdulillah, because I know it's not that easy to get into product. I've mentored people, I've helped people, I've educated them on, you know, how to get into product. And I it's it's not, it's never this easy. So I, I feel blessed. I feel privileged. I feel Pampered in that sense, but that is kind of my journey into product management, and that's just been in product the whole time since then. Okay, that that's crazy. So it just fell out of the sky and into your lap, basically. Yes, it yes. did. It Pumped really, <laughs> really did. I had to do nothing. It just like things just kept happening one after the other, and everything was just yeah. It's I. It amazes me. My story amazes myself to 
the truth because <laughs> it's it's never that easy. And I mean, for me to not to go in for an interview for something else and then totally have something totally opposite of what I went in for is is not common. And I went through a recruiter too. And when they called me back for the second time, they had said, okay, so none of our clients have done this, but this particular <laughs> one wants you back and it's someone else in the company. And I was just, it was very interesting and I was very humbled and I still am. And I, I just think Alhamdulillah for that because I wouldn't change it for anything else. I'm, I'm, a, I'm product to the core from within me. Oh, that's so nerdy. So that's such a product thing yeah. to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know it is. I know it is. <laughs> if I had to, if I had to do academia again, I'd be a computer engineer again. If I had to do my career again, I'd be a product person again. It's just, I just have this love, love, love relationship with product management. Okay, why? What What is it about product management that is really exciting for you? Yeah, you know, so I, I thought about this, right? And I was trying to figure out, like, why do I like it so much? So I think it's because even just with my personality, like I'm, I, I'm a listener. I love listening to people more than talking, I guess. Although, you know, I'm talking a lot right there now. You are, but it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's that. It's just, you know, like just the curiosity, listening to people's stories, their triumphs, their struggles, everything in between. I just believe that's what makes the world colorful and it makes us human. So I'm a big believer of solving people's problems, both personally and professionally. And I feel that if I can make one person's life easier, but them just talking to me, I want to be there. And, and honestly, I think that is the essence of product management is you need to be a great listener. You listen to your users, you listen to your customers, you, you read between the lines is really what you need to do. And, and so I love the empathy part of the whole deal within product management. And I just... I just think it sits very well with just the way I am as a person. And, you know, of course, added benefits of you, you are actually building something that people end up using and just seeing that in the market is so rewarding. Like there are all those extra things too. But I think at the core, it's the empathy, listening to people, adding value to people's lives in whatever way you can. That kind of gets me really excited about product management. That really resonates with me because I think how I approach product management is a very similar way. I really identify with listening as being like one of my superpowers, which is why as a host, I'm definitely the kind of host who'll sit back and listen and let the guests do all the talking. Because I like to listen. I like to kind of digest things and think of questions to ask and then what and go deeper. Um, and I also like that product is at this sweet spot where you are kind of involved with the code, you are involved with the design and you're involved with the users. You're in all three spaces, which makes me really happy. I think keeps me really engaged without getting yeah. too burned out on one specific thing. I think that the challenges are really interesting, the way that things move. I think having this ownership responsibility of getting a product or getting a feature started you know, first identifying what the problem is with your users and then iterating that solution to you have something and you get that final feedback from the customers and how it's like really helping them is, is such a rewarding thing yeah definitely agree it's 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 a really good package and i i mean for any of your listeners out there that enjoy that enjoy the computer engineering part of things but they want a business blend into that, I think this is a great career path for them because it it blends the two really well together. And so, you know, just for context, when I graduated and I was getting out of university, we were in a we were in an economic downturn. There were no jobs out there. A bunch of people getting out of the undergrads were getting into masters. And my plan was always, if I don't get a job, 
maybe six months, a year into the market, then I would have come back from a second degree in business because I enjoyed mm-hmm. that a lot. So if your headspace is there, then product management, I think, is the perfect blend from a career perspective for that. So this goes into another question that you mentioned before when you're talking about how you're mentoring people getting into product management. So if somebody is listening to this and they have that mindset where they're interested in the tech and the business and the intersection of these, how do they then get into product management? Yeah, I think if and if your education is primarily on the technical side of things, and that I think was my struggle initially starting off, is the business side of things, right? I've never studied it. I never had much experience with it. So you need to wrap up and you need to read whatever you can online. I, I really think you can find a lot of resources online without having to pay additionally for, you know, school or whatever the case may be. You can learn up on things. Learn up on what marketing is. Learn of what like competitive research is like. Learn up on usability, which I think would probably end up being their strongest point because it is kind of more attached to technical side of things than it is to the businessy. Right. Learn up on pricing, what that really means, and just generally how go to market is a big term, just how that works. And I think that will be a big help. The other thing that I think is helpful and to learn up on is numbers. So I think as great as computer engineers are with numbers and calculus, I don't think they have a very practical approach to accounting. So I think you need a more accounting approach to math and product management than you do with, you know, calculus. So yes, if you're programming, you need that abstract sort of, you know, thought around math. But if you're in product management, you need to know your forecasting. You need to know how really that's kind of done. You need to know your numbers. You need to know your revenue, things like those. So read up on that. Because honestly, if anything is going to make you uncomfortable during your first few years, it's going to be the business side and the numbers and the marketing side of things, because that's not what you are probably going to be strong at, right? Yeah, 100%. I think you really put your finger on it. it it's, it's really difficult to learn those skills. I mean, no, it's not difficult. It's just a different side of your brain. Because yes. once you've been working in the tech space for a long time and you've been like really focused on your programming languages and building your, you know, building your scripts, then transitioning and thinking about accounting math, thinking about how to make a business case for something and not because it would be really cool to code it, but because it's going to have this impact on our, on the, on the budget and on the forecast. And this is exactly. how we're going to do our roadmaps. That is a really core skill that we need to have as product managers. And it's a difficult thing to kind of learn and adapt to, but it's, it's, it's that uncomfortability, right, of pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. Exactly. And one more thing I will add is, you know, if you are at a point where you've just gotten into a product role and you're coming from a technical background, as you're working through things, always look at the why and mm-hmm. pull yourself back each time and ask yourself each time if you're solutioning. Because I think as technical people, our first thing is, yeah. oh, Oh, the customer said that one X, Y, Z. So if you put a button here and if we do this and we do that here, this is going to address it. But I think you need to really pull yourself back from that when you're sort of in that initial discovery mode with your users, because solutioning comes more naturally to technical people like us than getting to the higher level why and the value of why you're building something to build that sort of, like you said, raise the business case and all of that, that goes before you get to the solutioning part within your sort of product lifecycle. I do this all the time. It's a very easy thing to happen. Even with product managers who maybe don't have that technical background, I think it's just really easy to identify from your user feedback that they want this thing. And it's a very clear 
feedback and it's very easy to just change but then you have yeah. to go back and see well what impact will this actually have on yeah. our overall objective and our why yeah alhamdulillah that's so great yeah. alhamdulillah you mentioned in your in your bio that you've had your industry recognized projects so i'm interested in hearing a little bit more of that what maybe what's one or two projects that are like really special and what's the story behind them yeah a few years ago i worked for a company that acquired a very small, I think it was a two to three person company that were making GRC software. So GRC governance, mm. risk and compliance, right? It's a big within the auditors. And obviously, clearly, I was working in the audit industry at that point in my career. Mm -hmm. And so my company had acquired this other small company that was making GRC software. It was the very first GRC software within our product line in the bigger company I was working for. And so I was the first product manager on there. And it was just a, it was a product that was well thought out from a value perspective, right? Like the owner that built it, he was an auditor himself. So you can imagine he really got to the pain point when he was building this thing. So work, so I was the first product manager working on that. I worked on it for a few years. Every year we had like 200% growth in revenue, right? So it grew really fast. And we got to a point where we were actually, first of all, featured on the New York Times, you know, that board that's on the New York Times Square. The product was featured on there. So to me, that was like, that's amazing. Yeah, and you then know that board. Gartner, you know that board. Everyone knows that board. Everyone knows that board. <laughs> and I was like, I have no technical term for that board, but that board on New York Times Square. Where we all know what you're about. <laughs> yeah. So that was that's on there. Yeah. And then from an industry publication perspective, Gartner, mm -hmm. If you've heard of them, Gartner is a huge publication. You know, they do a lot of magic quadrants, things like those. This product got featured there the first year that I was product managing it. And then consecutive years, it's continued on there and grew on that magic quadrant, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So that was really fun. That was really nice to be a part of. So that was what that was like. That's my North American experience. Right. Then when I was working in Dubai, there was another one where, you know, I was working for that banking firm and they were sort of commercializing their in-house banking software. So there was a big there was a big newspaper there or news sort of channel there that was called Bleach Times. And so this whole software got uh, featured on there and there was this whole story around it. And again, I was kind of sort of the only business analysis person on there because I was sort of the only one that had that experience from a from an academia perspective. So being a part of that was very rewarding as well. Now, as I'm working at Quantity Care, they're a healthcare organization, senior healthcare, particularly so long-term care. And so they're market leaders in their sort of end as well. And so they get featured quite a lot on a bunch of their sort of healthcare publications. And it's always been very rewarding to be a part of these stories because you know you're adding value because really that's at the end of the day, that's what you're there for, right? You know you're adding value because that's why people are recognizing you for it, right? Your your industry, publications, whatever have you. So that's those have been kind of my most proud moments. Very, very well-deserved, mashallah. Those sound amazing. What a bunch of accolades. So incredible to be able to work on so many projects like that, Riam. That's amazing, mashallah. Yes, it's been, I've been very lucky. Again, I feel right place, right time usually for me, but alhamdulillah for that. Alhamdulillah. It sounds like you've made lots of pivots, not just in the size of companies that you've been working at and what point of the product lifecycle you've been jumping into, yes. but also you've pivoted in various industries as well. So how have you managed to stay flexible with all these changes? Yeah, it's been really amazing. There was a point in my career where I was mentoring a junior product owner and he had asked me like, where, where do you see yourself next in a year? Right? Like what would be different enough for you? Or he was asking me more actually from my past experience, right? Like what was different enough for you? And I told him switching industries. 
like, you know, it sounds counterintuitive, but it's actually very rewarding to change mm. industries. It opens your thought process like you wouldn't even imagine because you're thinking from so many different perspectives, right? So I was in fintech, then I went to hosting services, then I went to financial again, so credit unions in Canada, then I went to retail, right? I went to e-learning, I went to healthcare, and just just seeing how things really differ in industries and where they do not actually adds the confidence to the way you product manage things, right? Mm -hmm. Like some things you know in your gut are just right, right? Like, and, and your customers, as you're talking to them, will eventually get to where you're thinking ahead for them because you know every industry, this is, <laughs> this is how it needs to be done because every industry has struggled with that in my past experience. So that has been really rewarding. So I think maneuvering the industries has not been hard. I think for product managers, it is a, it is a very steep sort of learning curve when you join the company, right? You just kind of have to neck deep, just get into it. And that's the best way to learn. Learn all of the acronyms. Yeah. Learn all of the acronyms. Yes. That's probably the biggest one. My first, my first month is like, learn all the acronyms. And I treat industries as a product itself. It's like mm. learning a new product, right? Because I, I think the industry is like a product. Like, what do they like? What do not like? How are they structured? What ticks for them? What doesn't tick for them? Like things like those. Just think of an industry as a product and learn as much as you can about the industry. And I think your goal. I don't think it is a big roadblock switching industries. If anything, it is helpful in your longer term sort of career story. But it is really fun to switch industries because you kind of get to know what's next. And so I remember now this person that was that his question continued to say, so what's the next industry you want to work in? And I had said, you know what? I haven't worked in the auto industry. So I guess, <laughs> I guess that would be nice next. <laughs> so, so yeah, industries, switching industries has been rewarding as well and, and a great learning experience now that I in retrospect. So it sounds like it sounds like once you've moved past being stuck in one industry, when you're in that situation where you're learning lots of new things, you're adopting really deep in this product mindset without having too much reliance on safe assumptions from being in the same old, same yeah. old. And that's yeah. allowing you to get to the heart of things, to get to like these fundamental truths of how a product can be, how it should be growing, exactly. how the company should be evolving. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Right on. Yep. Alhamdulillah, that comes with experience, being able to see right down into it, right? It does, yes. Yeah. So I, yes, I think when you, <laughs> if I look at myself when I was the in my first, first, second, third year of product management, yes, I was more on the solutioning side, like, you know, getting mm. myself out, getting myself deep in, required quite a bit of muscle on, on my, on, on my part. But I think now as with, you know, with all this experience, with years of doing the same thing over and over again, you build that muscle and that muscle becomes so strong that you don't even realize where you're kind of skydiving all the way up to the like panoramic view of what things are and then nosediving right in the middle of the deep ocean to figure out like, okay, this is where the darkness is. So how can we make light here? This is the right? So, <laughs> so without a sound to it grim, but like, yes, I think as yeah. long as you keep practicing that, you'll get better at it. Don't don't let it sort of demoralize you and, hey, I don't really get this, but you'll get better at it as long as you keep practicing that muscle. It'll just get stronger with years and experience. Yeah, I, I think that's very, very true advice, very fundamentally true. You mentioned that you do a lot of mentoring. What is maybe the most common thing that your mentees are coming to you with? And maybe what's a piece of advice that you usually give your mentees? I think one of the most common things my mentees come to me with is, how do I get into product? 
And yeah. it is a very interesting conversation for me because, like I said, I've had a very privileged, <laughs> very privileged journey to product. Well, it's right? simple. All you do is apply for one yeah, job. Yeah, all you and do is the head of product will give you a. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> but you know, just having asked this questions so many times, and you yeah. know, it's crazy. It's it's. It's not like a certain role asks you this question within a company. It's your QA. Okay, your most obvious are your QAs and your support analysts and your engineers, right? Like, yeah. they're, they're, I think they're the closest to product managers. So they see like what we do, right? Yeah. Then you've got, then on the periphery, you've got your implementers or if you do consulting services, business analysts from, some, from the consulting part of your sort of companies, right? You've got that. But you also have the co-op kid or the internship kid that's just in for like three, six months. Complete beginners. Like, yeah. Hey, yeah. Hey, how can I do this? Or sometimes you've got people in sales or marketing wondering, right? Mm -hmm. So the biggest thing that I've had to have had to kind of have conversations around with my mentees is this, this fundamental question of how do I get in product? And honestly, to tell you the truth, it's not just even people that I've mentored, but people that I've interviewed that can that get a sense of oh, okay, this interview is not going very well. I've had interviews at the end of the interview ask me, so how did you think to product? Like, do you have tips for me? Like, it's it's very interesting that people, I get asked this Forget about this interview. I know this is a yeah. wash. Yeah, <laughs> I've, oh, I've been in multiple situations like those. <laughs> the candidates have been like, okay, well, clearly I, I get a sense, but hey, if we don't talk again, do you have any tips on what I can do next? to get into product. Well, that's saying that you're a great interviewer. They really trust you. <laughs> Literally. They're really comfortable. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I got that. I think that is a compliment. Very so empathetic. I, so, my, clearly. so my biggest thing around that is read up. Yeah. Be a part of affinity groups or communities. Like, you know how Tech Sisters is. Be a part of these. I think a big audience of yours is women. So there's women in product. There are all these professional groups that exist out there, networking groups, communities. Be a part of them, learn them, right? Like there's a lot of opportunity to not just learn, but be noticed and get, you know, get all. There are local sort of events as well. So, you know, networking, that's one sort mm -hmm. of theme that I will say is, you know, start your networking, be a part of these groups. The second thing that I'll say is read up, right? Like so if this person is a non-technical background, I will ask them to read up on the technical things, right? Like story writing, user requirements, the, the basic basics of codes, just so that you know what your engineering is talking about. So not coding, but just acronyms that engineers use, right? Like just be comfortable with that because yeah. again, I've had mentees that have had a marketing background and this technical stuff makes them so uncomfortable. And to what me, it's an like, API? what? No. What's yeah, it's so easy. They're so friendly. It's, so, it's common sense. What? Don't yeah. get scared. And then I have <laughs> had people that are on the engineering side where it's like, Okay, how do you kind of do value propositions? How do yeah. you do, you know, how do you how do you ask the right questions? How do you sort of, you know, in those like revenue sort of conversations, how does it all make sense to you? So that's my second theme of advice is read up where you think you don't know, read up. There is so much material online that you can read up on so many things, right? Mm -hmm. And then the third one, Grace, which I think I didn't. Although although I have been lucky that I got into product management, but I, I think in the beginning, I wasn't very great at doing this, which is why I think my progression was slower in my first, I think, four years or so than it was in my latter years, mm. was talk to people internally. Talk to your product managers. Talk to your director of product or VP of product and just, just tell them you're interested, right? And just, just have that conversation with them because oftentimes 
these people are going to help or it is going to be good for, for, for you to be on their radar, right? Because, yeah. you know, if anything, you can take that step up within an organization when you're doing a role switch. I think it's a little bit easier to switch your role within an organization than when, when you're going out. Right. I wouldn't say the same is true for other scenarios, but I'm just going to talk about this particular one here is when you're making that switch, try to do it within your organization because people know you, you, you've been there for a bit. Right. So I think definitely sort of do that. Right. So network, really read up and skill up a little bit as much as best as you can online and then let people know. People around you, let them know at work, personally, in the groups, let them know you're interested in this thing. And, you know, inshallah, something or the other will will show up. Inshallah. And so that's kind of, yes, that's kind of my package of where I take that conversation of how did you get, how do I get into product? How do I break into product? <laughs> so everyone can stop asking, you know, we can just refer them to this timestamp of this clip and they, that's, yeah, that's right. your answer. That's right. And my fourth one, Grace, is, you know what? I'm always here. If you guys have questions, hey, Mashallah. ping me, look me up. Like, I'm always here. You know, I just honestly, this is this is a very passionate topic for me. And if I can help anyone, I, hey, I I can talk on for hours on the topic. So um, I'm always here as well. Alhamdulillah. So you mentioned affinity groups, which is a really great transition to talk about MVP. So tell us a little bit about your group and how you started and what what's your kind of hopes and dreams for for your group yeah thank you for asking grace so yeah i've i've been noticing this for many years now it's not that this is this has been the first year that i noticed when i and i did something about it but it's just like and i kid you not i've changed a few industries i've changed several companies i've worked across different sort of places within canada if not like across just different countries mm-hmm. And it is really sad, but I have always been the only Muslim female product manager that I have known. I'm not surprised. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And and Grace, honestly, like I was telling you earlier, like you're the second one I know, right? Like, and it's just so sad because I know they exist, right? Like they're out there. I know they're in technical fields. And I think it's a bit better for Muslim women in technical careers. But for some reason in product, there's sort of, no one there so i kind of started researching right several uh, years ago and i was like oh look generally if you look at the split of product managers between men and women you have around 30 percent women product managers globally only within this cohort of product managers and then that and, and then i was like that's fine but in my current place where i work right like things are different i see so many women product managers so i was like i was like no like there's got to be something more to this stat that that skews it for muslims right so then i sort of looked at that split by ethnicity right so so then then the statistic had said i think there are around 72 percent of these product managers are white mm-hmm but when you start looking at Asians, Black or African Americans, an unknown group, it's all under 10, typically under 5%, right? So Muslims, like, right? Muslims are somewhere in there. And it's so now after 10%, of that, yeah. yeah. And this is Muslims, it's not yeah. even just women. So now <laughs> if you take a fraction of women and then you, um, it's, it's under 5%, right? And so to me, it's always been insane of, Okay, first of all, a lot of women do not exist. All the visually, you know, there are a lot of women in product. It's not that they're yeah. not. But when you look at the global statistics, there aren't too many. 
And then when you look at the match from Muslim women, it's like, oh, no wonder I haven't run into anyone because they are very far <laughs> and few between. Right? Like it's like they they do not yeah. exist. So, so I so I've been look so I've been feeling this for a couple of years, right? And so mm-hmm. my initial sort of thought had started with, hey, I am so underrepresented yet. It is such an amazing career to be in. So my initial thing started with I had this BHAG called a big here's your audacious goal on my on my business office right before COVID started that said represent Muslim women in product management, right? So to me at that point it was like I just I just want to represent because like I don't see any representation of it, right? Mm-hmm. And then as the years progressed, I honestly guess what it was I saw my daughters growing up and have two daughters now, and so it was like. So when I retire, what do I tell them on how I made this statistic better for the world that they would grow up into, right? And so to me, it was like, okay, I do want to be a role model and I want to make this right for them so that if they decide to go into this career path, they see more people, they see more Muslim women. And it's it's not like, oh, they stick out like a sore thumb type, type of a thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's how I started with the whole notion. So, so honestly, so then I started looking at different affinity groups. So I was like, I just got to go be a part of these Muslim affinity, some, some Muslim women in product group, right? Yeah. And I found none. I found a whole bunch for Muslim women professionals. I hold, found a whole bunch for Muslim sort of engineers, women, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I found a whole bunch for just working Muslimas. But not one that was specifically for product. And and I and I and that kind of led me to I think these are all signs of I should just what am I waiting for? I've I've, I've noticed for a few years nothing has really the changed. Is what empty. am I waiting for? <laughs> market is very empty. There's a big niche here. I should just create one. Yeah. So I founded a group that's called MVP and I had to pick that name because Grace, you're a product manager. So you know it's, MVP it's is a product. Big, huge you term. know you know. <laughs> you know, you know. It's a product term. Right. So it's called MVP. Full name is Muslim Vibes in Product. It's us telling our product stories. It's a group that's all about connection, first of all, right? Like connecting and just getting to know more Muslimas in the space. But then also to the ones that are aspiring or new, just kind of providing that mentorship, those networking events, whatever the case may be. And my big goal is to get at least one of these Muslim women into that Tech Women Award of the Year, right? Like a Women Mm -hmm. Entrepreneur Award of the Year. Because I don't see Muslim representation there either. And I don't know why, right? Like mm-hmm. we should, I would like to challenge that status quo because I know talent exists, right? And so that's my whole sort of story with MVP is there, there was, there's just a, there's just a gap and I think it needs to be filled. And so I kind of started down this journey earlier in, in December, 2022 to just kind of set those up and just kind of get my head around that. I think this is really the right thing to do. Did a bunch of research, you know, the stuff that comes with products things, did all of that research, everything needs to work. Is it going to work? Is it not going to work? Are people, are people going to be interested? And yeah. so just kind of having that to say, Hey, this is a forum. Muslim women, if you're interested in product, if you are in product, if you are, say, like in the UX part of product, and now you want to get into the management part of product, like, you know, like here's a platform where we can network, where we can kind of talk about what openings may exist because we all work at companies. I'm sure they have openings. Like, let's talk about those, right? Or let's meet up and let's talk about best practices. You know, if you want to kind of really get your marketing skills honed up, let's let's give you an introduction to that or the other way around. Right. Like if you want to really know what technical and programming is sort of all about, 
not that we'd program, but let's get you going on the technical terms that may sort of scare you away, right? So just mm. creating that safe space for Muslim women, which I don't think exists, and creating awareness to tell you the truth. Because one thing that doesn't happen, and I don't think it still does, is just, did anyone ever tell you what product management was in high school? In university, although now, yes, they have programs in university. No one told us what product management was. I don't understand why. It's such a coveted, it's such a coveted career path. But yet no one tells you about it till you reach the workplace. Again, now it's getting more popularity, right? Like in your in your universities and your institutions. But I'm sure high school still no. I don't think they talk about it. And I I, I don't see why not. Right. And so mm-hmm. one of my goals is to raise awareness for that within the kids that are heading into universities and colleges, right? Like tell them about this possible path they, that they could get into, right? So just so many thoughts. And I know they're very raw thoughts right now, but that's kind of where my head was at when I kind of said, okay, time to get a group started so that we can materialize all of these thoughts that I've had for several years now. But I think nothing to me in my research was being done about that. So let's just create a space where we can. It's really amazing for me listening to you say that because you've said pretty much exactly the same words and the same phrases that I've used when I describe how I started Texas Sisters. Mm. Wow. There's so much overlap. It's really, really interesting. I went into engineering first. I was front end dev. I taught myself how to code when my youngest was a baby. I had been working in that space for a while and for a couple of years, never ever saw any other Muslim women in a work setting. We go to conferences, would never ever see any other Muslim women. And this yeah. is in central London, which is an incredibly diverse city. And I'm like, yeah, they exist. Like you said, they're definitely out there, but we're not connecting. Yeah. Um, and like you said, you know, did the, the research and there really wasn't anything that was presenting Muslim women in this tech space. So I had it a little bit more general as just tech in general. So including product, including design, including engineering. If you define yourself as being in tech, you can be a tech sister. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but there wasn't anything like that. And that's why we focus on the stories, first of all, was to have that representation of there are women who are already out there and who have been out there for many, many years who are in their careers and they're not sacrificing their identity. They're not sacrificing their dean. They're able to succeed at work while being themselves without having to put on a mask or to code switch or whatever. Here's their story. Here's what they've gone through. And then we have the community for women who are listening to that and are like, yes, that's me or that's who I want to be. Or maybe I'm thinking about it, but I don't know how to get there. And in the community, you'll meet other women who are like you, who have the same values who want the same things for, they want the flexibility. They want to be able to pray and to not have to worry about that at work, right? They want all of that. So they have the same values, the same, very similar backgrounds. Texas is incredibly diverse. We have lots and lots of ethnicities represented. So when you were saying that Muslims fall under that other category, I feel like that is our whole demographics. (laughs) Yes, yes, I would think so too. (laughs) Subhanallah. It covers a lot. And then we, we have support on how you can get to where you want to be. So we have the mentoring, we have the, the how to develop your skills, helping you with your CV and interview practice and all of that. Amazing. Alhamdulillah. So yeah, very, very similar motivations and objectives here. And you know, that's so amazing because one of the things when I was starting this off was, well, if there isn't any representation, 
then is anyone even going to care or show up, right? And so I started looking at all the groups that we had. And so I ran into Tech Sisters. And honestly, Grace, it was so nice to see that, yes, people want to have that interaction with the same cohort. It's just that it possibly perhaps doesn't exist. But when it does exist, like Tech Sisters, there are some great conversations that happen there. You know, like you're saying that there are multiple ethnicities. So so yes, like just justifying the fact that yes, this cohort exists, it just doesn't have representation or, or, or a community or a platform to have those conversations in. And so thank you for creating Tech Sisters because that actually showed me promise on, hey, we're out there. We just we just need to empower each other and just make sure that we're like just, you know, growing where we want to grow or have awareness of what exists out there in the professional world. Alhamdulillah. We're in the middle of doing our community health assessment. So every year we have a really big survey and we do a report with lots of metrics. This is very product on how we're growing and how the how the strength of the community is and if we're serving our audience and everything like that. Of one of the, the key points that keep coming through again and again is validation on just how much groups like Tech Sisters and like MVP are needed. Because we'll hear feedback from Tech Sister members be I've been working in tech for 10 years, for five years. I've never seen any, just like us, I've never seen any other Muslim women. I've been searching online for this and stumbled across your website. And I'm so excited by the representation. Um, I've been trying, wanting to go into tech, but my family doesn't feel like this is a safe place. And now I have all these women (laughs) to show them as examples of you can do this. Subhanallah. And you're going to find it's the same when you have your membership grow. There is barakah in having a group like this. This is a way of doing sadaqah. This is a way of serving the ummah. I think maybe one warning is because this is a niche within a niche and you're having another niche within that, the growth will be slow. Of course. <laughs> yes. Yes, I can see that. <laughs> it will be, it'll, it'll be slow. But alhamdulillah, it'll be very rewarding and have lots of barakah with it. I mean, I mean, inshallah, I hope inshallah. that is truly the case. And and again, I think like you're saying, it'll be, it's all about Barak, it's all about Sadkajaria, right? Like, it's, exactly. Why why are we doing this? Because it's, we're not making money off of it. No one's going to pay us. We're not getting a salary off of this, right? Like, no, no we're taking time away from probably doing this at night when the kids yeah. need to be this put to it. bed, right? Like, so we're missing out on that. But mm-hmm. the whole point is, is you... It's our way of empowering the Ummah, right? Because to me, when I look at myself, I'm not a Sheikha. I'm not a I'm I'm not a Sheikh Umar Suleiman. I'm not a Yasmin Mujahid. Like I can't go up on stage and talk about religious stuff. Like I'm I'm learning. Like I, I, I so right. So it's like, yeah. well, how do I give back to my Ummah? You know, these people have skill sets. They have education in what they talk about. So how do I give back to the Ummah? Well, I think the only strong skill that I have is yes, is product management, and I've got this experience. That's my way of giving of giving back, right? Mm-hmm. And I heard a great talk by a scholar, by a, by a Muslim scholar once, and he had talked about how, you know, Allah doesn't want us to just sit and like not do anything, but he's given us skill sets. He's given all of us skill sets. And as we start honing them, as we start getting into workplaces, we are basically using our strengths and our skill sets to grow in those areas. And so we should put them to use for the greater ummah and share that skill set with them. And to me, really, this is what it is, it is about, right? Like if there is something that I do in my day job that can help the ummah and help us grow and just be stronger, then I'd like to give that back, right? And so it just is, Sadka Jai, it has nothing to do with, hey, I have some political agenda in mind or like I want this X, Y, Z at the end of the day. It's just, 
honest conversations. Let's have them. The world is so connected now, like compared to maybe even 10 years ago, everything is so accessible. Why not? Why not, why not use that to just strengthen our own, right? And Alhamdulillah, that's what this is all about. Alhamdulillah. There's a dua my mentors taught me, and it's it's just a dua that she said is a personal one. So it's not like a hadith or anything. And I'm going to insert a note for Editor Grace in the future to say it because I'm not going to remember the whole thing now. So the dua for that is, Oh Allah, you know me better than I know myself. I believe in your oneness. You know my strengths and my weaknesses, my sins and my good deeds. I live my life to serve and worship you. Use me, my Lord, for that which is pleasing to you. Use me in furthering this theme and ultimately bringing people back to your worship. I trust in you, Alameen. I present myself fully to the ways in which you will answer this dua and will do my utmost best to grab hold of the opportunities you bring my way. Forgive me and make me sincere. Use me for your sake, Yarabi. But the point of it is asking Allah to give us the opportunity to acknowledge any opportunity that he gives us to do good. So to see any opportunity where we could use our existing skills to see people who need our help. At it, it's helping us realize the good that we can do with where we are right now. So like you're saying, we're, we're not shayuk. Our knowledge of the deen is limited, but that doesn't affect how much we're able to help or the impact that we're able to do right now with the skill set and the knowledge that we have. It just means that it's going to be different from what you'll see on the Islam channel, right? When you make that dua, and it, it's it's very, very powerful, you'll start seeing all these all these people come to you and then you'll see ways that you'll be able to help them. And it, it's just a way of Allah showing you that the path that you're on is where you were always meant to be. Knowing product or knowing tech isn't a deviation from the deen. This is a way, just a, a diverse way of helping and being of assistance. Alhamdulillah. Exactly. Alhamdulillah. So true and so well put, Grace. That's exactly what it is, right? Is there is a point where you do come to that realization of, hey, so what if my skill set is different and not your typical sort of scholarly skill set? can still give back if you try to be creative with that right mm-hmm. and and really if you think about this people that are technical people that are in product what are we doing we're shaping the products of the future right that's really what it is yep so let's do it let's do it together let's have our say in those products let's have our say in what we build what gets out there the apis what, whatever the case may be it's it's really building the future it's really building tomorrow and so like you said, Grace, that's our way of giving back is we want to make tomorrow stronger, right? Yes. And here's another aspect to that. In tech especially, what audience is most likely to get overlooked? It is women. It is people of color. It's who we are as Muslim women. So we can really help tech be representative serve communities in a much more authentic way, you know, not just glossing over the problems, but really addressing root issues by being part of these conversations, by being part of companies and building products that are doing good, even starting our own companies that are addressing things that we feel like have not been addressed. Absolutely. And what I want to add to that, Grace, is I feel like a lot of times when we're watching, watching things on the media or the social network, all of that, I think a lot of times 
Muslims are not really put in the most positive light. So there's this there's this thought, and I've talked to other Muslims that work, right? Not in tech, just generally, you know, in tech yeah. also, but across as well. And there's this there's this belief that hey, if we let our true, authentic selves be known at work, then they're gonna look at us weird, right? Smallest thing. Hey, if I tell them I pray five times a day and in HR, can you just give me a small room or whatever? It could be their mm-hmm. storeroom because I prayed in storerooms for at one of my jobs. And hey, I'm okay with that. I don't care if that box touches on my head. I, I just got to talk to Allah, right? <laughs> right? So it's like, you know, having that conversation and being okay. People are not comfortable. Yeah. People think that they're going to be looked at weird, that they'll be questioned and there won't be support. But let me tell you from my 15 plus years of experience, Mostly in North America, mostly working with non-Muslims. Actually, you know, more than, yeah, it's always working with non-Muslims. Every time I've had a conversation about Islam, they've listened with such curiosity that it's humbled me. And Mm -hmm. it's made me think, because the the equation goes both ways, right? So non-Muslims see stuff on TV and they think certain things about Muslims. Well, us Muslims see stuff on TV and think a certain way about non-Muslims too, right? It's like, oh, they're going to think this is so weird. But never in my career once in North America have I ever had the issue of people not understanding, of them them not being accommodating, of them not of them looking at me weird, right? Mm-hmm. To a point where like again, I alhamdulillah I do feel I leave a privilege and I have not had to face these hardships because I know they exist. And the funny thing is, I actually had a conversation with one of my bosses and he he's a christian he is white and i said i don't really think people are racist to muslims do you think that's true and he was like he was such a great guy and i and i love him he's one of the best mentors that i've had in my career he had said raham they do exist i have a friend that's kind of like that so they do exist mm-hmm. and so to me it was like okay it's not like they don't exist fine they do exist but the majority of them, like bad apples, right? Yes, they do yeah. exist. It's not going to be the majority in the box, but there's like going to be a couple. Fine. That's true for every ethnicity, every religion, every political group, every whatever the case may be, right? Mm-hmm. So if you listening to this are uncomfortable being known as a Muslim in XYZ or some value that you kind of sort of really value, but are, are uncomfortable sharing that at work or in your professional space, don't. Oftentimes the issues are in our head the confusion is in our head more than it exists in real. Don't be just people will listen more than you think they will listen and they will be more understanding than we think they would be of our ethnicities and our religious backgrounds and whatever have you. Yeah, definitely. Especially in tech because they're making such yes. an effort to have more DEI. They, yes. from what we've seen in Texas, their members, HR really welcomes feedback that is pointing out where they can improve DEI and specifically how to do that. So like we're recording this just after Christmas and Christmas is a really great example for this. We've had a lot of Texas members who will talk about feeling very awkward around Christmas parties because of the drinking or just because of Christmas in general. And this is a really great opportunity to talk to DEI and, you know, voice your concerns and you don't have to worry about being a wet blanket because this is what they're there for, right? You can say, I'm just not comfortable going to these parties. One, is it okay for me not to attend? Or two, is it okay for us to have it in a different venue? Maybe not a bar or a pub, but someplace else where there's just like food where I can eat. You, know, you can work out different compromises and, and just so that they know where your boundaries are. 
and they can respect them. And I think this also comes, you know, we were talking about having experience and being able to see deep into things and going into the depths. Experience is also knowing your boundaries and knowing how to articulate them and when to really enforce them and be very strict about it. I think when you're very new to something, it feels very uncomfortable to talk about your boundaries, to even know where they are because you want to fit in. Right. But then once you have more experience and you are like, I'm just not going to put up with this anymore because I know it doesn't really matter. If I'm not, if I don't go to that certain work event, most of the time, they're not really going to even notice that you're there, <laughs> right? And you can show up in, in other ways at work. So yeah, having more experience with that is, is really clutch. Yeah. Absolutely, right on. And alhamdulillah for, alhamdulillah for everything and for being yeah. Muslims. Yeah, alhamdulillah. And you've mentioned before projects and products that you're really proud of. Is there something else that you've accomplished in your career that's like your proudest moment or something that's really special to you? You know, and I think this is the great segue. Yeah. Is having HR provide a dedicated space for praying to Muslims. So a couple of companies ago, because of my experience, and I think Allah does everything for a reason, because of my experience of never having to face friction with my faith being known to non-Muslims at work, mm-hmm. I've been more confident in just asking and saying, right? Mm-hmm. So usually when I join a company, I'll go to someone in HR or actually on my onboarding days, my question would just be that at this too. point. Yeah. yeah it's like, <laughs> it's like, hey, I... I have to pray during the day. Do you have a dedicated goal? So anyways, I was in this company and we did not, right? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I'd pay in meeting rooms and sometimes I'd pray elsewhere. And then I went to HR and I said, it's it's okay, but this meeting room that I prayed actually doesn't have those frosted glasses. So it's, it was like a see-through glass. And I was like, it's very uncomfortable praying when I'm trying to have an intimate mo- moment with God, right? I, I feel like even if there they're was all no watching. one there, that they're all watching. <laughs> So I was like, can I get a little bit more for private place? Yeah. And they were very accommodating, right? So they were like, okay, yes, downstairs we had this like training room. And so they were like, okay, we're going to, you know, this is a space you can use and no one really shows up here. So you're welcome to pray here. It's like, okay, thank you. Alhamdulillah. So I knew one, Grace, I knew one Muslim in that company at, at that point. And I went up and I'm like, hey, dude, I got you. We got this. I got, yeah, I got you. In, if you pray, because you got you got to be careful, right? Because you know course. you can't expect everyone. Like you can't expect. So I was like, hey, if you pray, or if you ever want to pray, maybe during Ramadan, because that's when we're more like observing of our like prayers. You're being like, very hey, gentle. I, <laughs> I was trying to be. I was like, hey, there's a room downstairs. Mm-hmm. If you ever want to use it, I could show it to you. So I said it in a way where I'm like, I can show it to you, and I'm going to walk away now from this conversation. He's like, hey, can I see it right now? I'm like, oh yeah, let's go. So I showed it to him. Yeah. Okay, so we started praying. Then, we, then I, then I met like one, two other Muslims at work, right? And then we, t- yeah. then I told them. And then what was really interesting, Grace, is within our engineering group. So this mm. initial Muslim man that I told to, he worked with a bunch of engineers, okay. and a couple of them were extremely practicing Christians. So they okay. started using the room, right? Like so, the, it became this prayer interface prayer room that really was this one recording meeting room was really what it was that no one used because we had let that floor that specific office we didn't use because we moved everyone to the floors on top type of a thing Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and so to me I think as I look back 
Alhamdulillah, right? Like, I, I hope that is my one good deed. That's going to pull her into Jannah if I have just like Inshallah. one good thing she did Inshallah. that's going to get her into Jannah, right? Like, I, I, I'm so proud of doing that. And I'm, I'm so thankful to tell you the truth to Allah for giving me the opportunity and the confidence because I've never had to face the friction mm. to, to comfortably sort of challenge the status quo and be like, hey, you guys, HR, you don't have a room. Mind giving us a room? Because there are a bunch of us at work, possibly, right? Mm-hmm. And so that room started getting used not just by the Muslims, but also the Christians. And that was just so, so, so nice to kind of see. That's really beautiful. Mashallah. Yeah, we hear all about the barakah of donating to a mustard building project and you know yeah. how much barakah there is in one brick. This is the same idea, yes. right? You're providing a place for people to pray. Alhamdulillah. Yes. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. And so to me, I think, you know, work, everything, all things aside. Mm-hmm. To me, I always think of this because I always think, hopefully this opened the doors for other people once I left the company, right? Because the couple people that were praying there were there, were still there when I left. And so it was like, hopefully, you know, this is, this is something that will be shared and it's all about sharing, right? Like it's all about sharing the goodness. So hopefully this will just continue to be. Well, inshallah. inshallah. May this be like a really heavy sadaqajaria that's heavy in your skills and we'll get you into jana, inshallah. That's really, really beautiful. What is something in your amazing career path that you regret or you wish that you did differently talk to more people internally when i was trying to change either products or going from a ba to see a more product focused role right like trying to talking to more people internally is always helpful because i think because they will listen and they may have opportunities that may not be marketed on their website, on the careers page or whatever the case may be, but they may be thinking of an opening, right? Yeah. Because I've had cases where I've left companies and then directors and VPs and have asked me, hey, you know, like what made you move? And I had kind of said like, hey, the next step up. And they had said, oh, you should have talked to us. You should have talked to us. <laughs> we were thinking about an opening, right? And so like that's yeah. always... I think been probably a regret in my earlier career years where yeah. I think just talking things a little bit more openly, even if it's your career aspirations at work is important. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, you know, Grace, I think it's, I, there are many aspects into this, but I think a huge part of it is to do with the fact that generally as Muslims or as Muslims, we are not very forthcoming with what is on our mind or what we value or where we want to go. Because we feel that will not be, that'll not be, that'll not resonate to the audience you're trying to talk to. Yeah. So I feel generally we are more guarded with having open conversations, whether that's about careers or that's about faith or that's about, hey, I don't want to go to a pub to, to your networking event. I don't mind presenting, but I ain't doing it at a pub, right? Because like, <laughs> you guys don't understand when you don't drink. Yeah. Drinks smell. There's a certain smell to them, let alone everything else, right? Like there's there's so much that goes with it. It's just uncomfortable. <laughs> it's just uncomfortable. Like it's it's not enough like that I have a non-alcoholic drink. It's that you guys are all doing your own thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like this weird, I'm just sticking out like a sore thumb and it's just really <laughs> awkward for me right now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right. So that's I think that's my one thing. There are many. There are many. I mean like you know, I think we all make a bunch of mistakes, but I think if I was to pick one for the audience, it would be this is have open conversations. I think they're so important at work. Yeah, definitely. 
Alhamdulillah. And the last question I have for you today, Raham, what is somebody or something that you're most grateful for over your career? So somebody I'm very grateful for, and this person has been part of my, part of my career path more recently, and I'm going to take his name because he's super amazing. His name is Henry, and he's been one of my previous bosses. And I always tell him he, he's been my saving grace in a lot of ways. And you know why, Grace? Because a lot of every product leader that you have or a manager that you have will not bring empathy to his to their team mm-hmm. to the level that someone like Henry does. Right? So he cared about, hey, we need to do the release. We need to get out there. There's all of this. But he really cared about the people. His one-on-ones were about the person that they were with. And he deeply cared, right? Like he he knew my kids. And, you know, for a person that's generally guarded with like private life stuff at work, right? Like he was, you know, he was comfortable enough where, you know, he knew my kids, he knew things I was going through, my values, all of that, right? And Mm -hmm. You know, one thing he did, and if, if you are a manager that manages teams, because to me, that wasn't, that's what I'm going to do with my team, is he made this, he made this graph because he joined at a point where I was fairly frustrated with the company that I was in, mm-hmm. right? He made this graph and he called it the Raham's happiness graph, right? <laughs> we would plot my happiness against that graph. Yeah, in all of our one-on-ones almost. <laughs> and it was amazing, even if I didn't move on that graph, which by the way, I did. Mm. Not because the company did anything different, but because Henry was my boss. So the person I immediately reported to cared. So just knowing that someone cares in your, like your boss yeah. cares is huge, right? And so I, Henry by far, I think, is one of the best bosses I've had through my careers. And I've had a couple. They all come very close to Henry. But Henry, like if I had to say topmost guy, Henry's up there, right? Like, <laughs> Henry, if you ever listen to this, thank you. And I think I've told you multiple times how amazing you are. You are because there's so many people at work that you've changed work and the atmosphere and the feeling and the mental stress for that. We call it Sadka Jariya in Islam, but really what it is is good deeds that you do that help you in the afterlife and give you this peaceful life in heaven is really like super abstract way of explaining that. Like, You've done so much that it's, it's just been so amazing. And so he has been one of the people in the last several years that has made a, made a huge impact for me at work because of his empathy, because of him just listening and him just, you know, feeling the person out, right? Like just, if I'm happy, he was happy. He was happy with me. He was happy before me to tell you the truth. If I was like sad or like, you know, my, someone in my family was sick, which also happened, he was grieving more than I was grieving. And you know, to get that feeling from someone that you're talking to, particularly reporting to, makes a huge difference, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm a believer that if you are, in, if you are studying in a university or school, or if you are working, the biggest impact that's going to have in whether you make it or not is your professor and your boss. Mm-hmm. that's it you may have the skill set to the moon and back and everything but if you don't have a good leader that you're reporting to or that's managing you you're not going to make it you're going to yeah. hate it you're not going to make it your skills are going to be of no use you just yeah. it's they they make or break the deal for you whether you're studying whether you're at work or whatever the case may be your leaders empathetic leaders that feel for their people 
make make people's lives. Yeah, mashallah. So really beautiful how that became just a direct letter to Henry right there. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, I had to. I had to. <laughs> I find I don't think I try to find every opportunity I can thank him because that's the impact he's had on my life. Mashallah. And it's mostly philosophical. It's mostly more yeah. with like mental health and yeah. you know it's 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 a, it's a lot to do with that, but it it holds such a great weight. It really does. It really does. Especially when you have that example and then you could hold it up to your other bosses. Because like you were saying, that's the biggest factor, whether you're going to make or break it. So if you have that example of what a good boss is, there is no need to suffer needlessly under a bad boss. Right. Once you find yourself in that situation and if you're able to, because a lot of people are not able to, but if you're able to get out of there, it's no need. You, You don't have to suffer with that. Right? Yes, exactly. And I recently, I recently wrote a blog post that talks about if you're in a product career and you're not happy, mm-hmm. don't settle. Yeah. If you're under a bo- bad boss, don't, don't, don't continue torturing yourself, right? Like, don't, it's not worth it because when you look back, it wasn't worth it. And so then you're saying, yeah. oh, should have just done something different. The amount of stuff that you'll learn when you're with a boss that is empowering you and you're in a company that's interesting, when you're working on a product that's interesting, your skills and your knowledge and your confidence in yourself is going to go so much higher than when you're in a place where you're miserable. Absolutely. Right. And where you're not being challenged. So even if you're at that place for only a couple of months and then you're, it's, so the time scale doesn't matter. When you look at your CV, it's the experience that you're building when you're happy is so much more meaningful than at a place where you're sad. Absolutely. 110% true. Pam, is there anything else that you feel like, I feel like we've covered so much. (laughs) Yes, I feel like I've talked a lot. I've talked a lot. Considering this was done first thing in my morning. I know, so this is really amazing. But is there anything else that you feel like you would like to cover? Any last words of advice or anything like that? No, the only thing, the only thing I want to say is be your true self when you show up mm-hmm. to the world because they care more than you think they care. And we need to see more Muslims. Be more visible, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Alhamdulillah. This is so lovely. I'm going to really enjoy this one. Thank you so much, Ram. And it was just really lovely having you on. Thank you so much, Grace. It was awesome talking to you, Alhamdulillah. And Assalamualaikum for everyone who lasted this long hearing my <laughs> endless things to say to the world. <laughs> And as always, thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. If you liked it and you like what we're doing at Tech Sisters, consider following us, leaving a review, sharing this episode with any friends, or even supporting us on Patreon. All of those really help us a lot. This is a completely nonprofit organization. We're just doing this for Sadaqah. So anything that helps more Muslim women find us and discover us and hear the stories is immensely helpful. And if you are a Muslim woman in tech, please go ahead and check out our community. It is completely free and fun and very supportive. You can join by going to our website at tech-sisters.com and filling out the membership form and you will get a link right away into our Slack. So it's really, really easy. And that is all for me. And I'll see you next week. Assalamu alaikum.